0: I have been doing a lot of rethinking this past year about education, but the moment that really changed my thinking about education happened over a dozen years ago. I met a sociologist named Wayne Baker, and he and his wife, Cheryl Baker, an entrepreneur, had observed that something was going wrong in classrooms and in communities of all kinds. There were a lot of people who were happy to help. There were a lot of people who needed help and they weren't necessarily connecting. They decided they would create a little exercise to solve this problem. They called it the reciprocity ring. And the basic idea was that they were gonna gather a group of, of students or colleagues and they would invite everyone to make a request for something they wanted or needed but couldn't get on their own. And then they would challenge everybody else in the group to try to use their knowledge and their networks to fulfill the request. And they started launching this exercise with students and they saw some unusual requests. One student said, my dream is to see a Bengal tiger in the wild. No one had ever set foot on a continent where that was even possible, but a few people offered to help. And a month later, this guy was able to fly out and live his lifelong dream of seeing a Bengal tiger in the wild. Now, unfortunately the tigers got loot. No, i just kidding but never would have happened if the request had not been crowdsourced to a group of people with different knowledge and different connections. I saw this happen and I thought, I have to start doing this in my classroom at Wharton. I wanna get students in the habit of offering help and supporting their peers, but I also wanna give them the chance to seek it. And I think the mistake that so many of us make is we need help. We don't wanna be vulnerable. We don't wanna look incompetent. We're trying to be self-reliant. We don't wanna be a burden to others so we don't ask. And if we do ask, we only go to the people that we know well, our strongest ties, who we trust to be able to help us and that we think we can help back in the future. The problem with that is we actually get more meaningful help and more creative solutions from our weaker ties who travel in different circles, who learn different things, who meet different kinds of people and can open up fresh access to ideas and opportunities. So the reciprocity ring was a way to unlock those weak ties to allow students, to empower students, to seek help from people they had hardly ever interacted with before. And I decided I was going to take it into my classroom. One of my favorite requests came from a student named Alex, who said, I haven't told a lot of people this, but my dream is to work at an amusement park like Six Flags. I think roller coasters are nirvana. I would love to be part of that. But Six Flags does not recruit at the Wharton School of Business. Does anyone know a way to get my foot in the door? And I'm looking around thinking, what are the odds that a bunch of 20 and 21 year old students could possibly help with that? A few students offer to do simple five minute favors. And a few weeks later, Alex comes into class and I ask for an update. And he says, I just got off the phone with the former CEO of Six Flags. And I thought this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my classroom. Did he get you a job? Did he open up other connections in the industry? Alex broke out into a huge grin and he said, I now know I never want to work in that industry. And I was depressed for a little while, but then I realized that having ruled out that dream, Alex could move on to pursue others. The idea behind the reciprocity ring completely changed my thinking about the culture in a classroom. The first thing that I learned is there are lots of students who are very happy to help each other. If only they knew who needed their help and what they were looking for normalizing help-seeking, making it easy for people to ask and bring a request to the table is the single most important driver of anything we can study, of building a culture of generosity. That was a little bit more difficult as we moved into an online world. And one of the things that I ended up doing was running our online version of the exercise, it's called Give Toss, where students could go into an app and submit their requests and then they could sign up if they thought they might be able to help each other. I was worried that it wouldn't have the same magic as doing it face-to-face in the room. What I'd always done with the reciprocity ring was have students write the request on a flip chart and then post them around the room, and then they'd walk around, sign up where they thought they could pitch in, and also get to know each other a little bit in the process. And that part was just completely missing online. So I decided to do something that I'd never done before as a teacher. I reached out to my entire serve of alumni, all my former students, and I said, we're gonna be doing an online version of that exercise that we did in class. We would love for you if you're available to come into the Give a Toss platform and sign up to help. I was teaching a class of 80 students. I had 150 alumni come in live as a complete surprise and they all volunteered their knowledge and their networks to try to help out the current students. It is the most powerful thing I've ever watched happen in my classroom when it comes to building a genuine culture where people are happy to help and support each other. My undergraduates reported later that they were blown away that alums who had never met them would show up, pay attention to what they needed and then try to contribute to help solve their problems. Now, obviously this is easier to do with older students but even in primary school, even with young kids there's a a Danish tradition called cake time where once a week uh, one student is in the spotlight and presents a problem or a challenge, and then the whole class is invited to help problem solve. And it's, it's I think, a young child's version of going through this give a toss exercise or the reciprocity ring. Uh, it's called cake time because the student whose problem it is also brings a treat for the class to eat. But I think it's a wonderful way of cultivating empathy and getting students to really think about how they can support each other as opposed to just how they can outperform each other. That was the second challenge that I faced in my classroom at Wharton. I had a lot of students who came in thinking that the definition of success was to outdo their peers. Uh, They were used to being graded on forced curves where another student's failure meant their success. And it was pretty hard to get them to think about collaborating with each other. The reciprocity ring exercise, the Givitas experience helped to overcome some of that. But I still had students who bought into a zero sum view of success and thought, you know what, if I help my classmates ace a final exam, then that might hurt my own performance. I decided to rethink the way that I graded students. I wanted to motivate them to study each other, Uh, excuse me, study together. We have known for years that the best way to learn is to teach someone else, right? When you explain material to other people, you come to understand it better. You also remember it better, which makes it easier to retrieve it. So I I was curious about what I could do to get students to study together. And I decided that I would, I would turn the final exam into a little bit of a challenge around who knows what. I generally write a very difficult final exam and the hardest part is the multiple choice questions. Uh, it relies on students completely mastering the material that I cover in my course on work in psychology. And there are always students who are worried that they're, they're gonna just completely miss a few answers and that's gonna undermine their performance on the test. So I did two things. Number one, I said, I will never curve downward, but I will curve upward. Whatever the gap is between the highest score and the perfect score, I will add that amount to everybody's score uh, so that the best performer in the class actually raises everybody else's final grade. But more importantly, I'm also gonna give you a chance on the multiple choice questions to identify the hardest question, the one that you're most uncertain of. And I'm gonna ask you to write the name of the classmate who you think knows the answer. If they get that question correct, you get the points too. I, I rolled this out a couple of days before my final exam one fall. I was blown away by what happened next. A group of students had started an email list. They got every single student on that list and they divided and conquered to say, we're going to identify experts for every single topic in this course so that everybody knows who's specialized in what information. And they put those students in charge of writing summaries for everyone else, of explaining their knowledge to the class. And I found that as a result of that, students not only got better grades because they were able to identify who would know the information they were missing, they actually did better on the rest of the multiple choice questions too. The average class score went up by about 3% when I introduced that small incentive. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that really changed their, their overall test performance at all. Um, overall, the, the multiple choice question that they wrote down a classmate's name was only two points on a 150 point exam. And yet that subtle incentive took away the disincentive to cooperate and collaborate. It encouraged them to say, you know what, there's a lot we could learn from each other and teach each other. And I've maintained that incentive ever since. And every single semester, students get together to study together and they end up learning more because of that. It sounds like an incentive in some ways, but what I've ultimately realized is I'm really just removing the disincentive to collaborate. Students are naturally eager to compare notes, to share information with each other, to try to help each other learn. All that was standing in the way of that was a forced grading curve that prevented them from thinking that they could actually still excel if they tried to help each other succeed. And I wonder how many other grading and incentive systems we might be able to rethink in a similar manner. One of the things that happened as I was starting to make these changes to my course is I started teaching students the importance of of thinking again. I, I started teaching days of class where the entire message was, we hold assumptions, we have knowledge, we have opinions that are often wrong and we need to be open to rethinking and reconsidering those. And one day after I taught that class, a student came up to me and told me that I was not following my own principles, which is the kind of feedback that I always look forward to as a teacher. And I asked why, and the students said, well, you teach this whole class on evidence-based management and psychology. You never give us the opportunity to question the the principles you teach because we don't always have the randomized controlled experiments and the longitudinal studies and the meta-analyses. And so it's hard to challenge your data with our lack of data. And as I thought about that, I realized that they were onto something. I decided that I was gonna create an assignment toward the end of the semester where students were tasked with challenging one of the core assumptions of the class. I sent them off to work in pairs. They could film a mini Ted talk or record a mini podcast episode where they called into question one of the the main ideas we had covered in the course. Their job was to find evidence to back up their challenge. So they had to, in some cases, comb through journal articles, in other cases, uh, search for, for information on what various kinds of experiments were underway. And I was just, at first floored by the ingenuity of of the ideas they had, and then secondly, impressed by the creativity they brought to the delivery. I will never forget the the group of students, it was actually Trio, who gave a TED Talk on the problems with TED Talks, uh, which was very meta. Uh, I ended up loving it so much that I played it for the whole class. And I think that that's the kind of thing teachers need to do more often in the classroom. I think we need to give students a chance, not just to internalize and memorize all the information we teach, but to question it, to poke holes in it, to identify the limitations of knowledge. One of the things we do when we give students that opportunity is we actually teach them that knowledge is always evolving, right? That the things that you learn in school today might not be true, all of them tomorrow. And I wish I had been taught that because I remember finding out not too long ago that Pluto might not be a planet and I was devastated. It shook my worldview. What do you mean Pluto's not a planet? What do you mean there might only be eight? Are you gonna randomly add a 10th? Is it possible you're gonna declassify Earth as a planet? Do we not live in a solar system? It was very unsettling. And I think if I had teachers who encouraged me to rethink some of the material that we were learning, I would have been a little bit less upset by discovering that one of my core beliefs was not true. So this is an ethos I've wanted to bring into my classroom, not just with this assignment of doing the mini podcast or a mini Ted talk, but much more broadly in saying, let's encourage students to challenge each other's thinking and my thinking as the teacher whenever they have ideas. And again, moving into a virtual classroom this past year, I was worried that we were gonna lose a lot of the fire of that. One of the things I did in Zoom was with a couple of colleagues, we said, let's create hashtags so that we know when students wanna jump into the conversation. We introduced hashtag question if you had a question and I would scan the chat and I'd pause every few minutes and call on the people who asked questions. We introduced hashtag on fire. If you had a burning question or burning comment and you wanted to desperately get into the conversation now, we would turn to you. I would actually stop in mid-sentence if I saw on fire and that way you knew you could jump the line and your voice would get heard. Uh, We had a hashtag, I added one later, hashtag aha so that I could track the, the Eureka moments that students were experiencing. And sometimes I found out that the message I thought I was teaching was not getting across. Other times I found out that there were epiphanies that I didn't even realize were important. And that's helped me figure out what to keep in the class moving forward. The most important hashtag though, by far that we used was hashtag debate. I said, if you disagree with anything that I present or anything one of your classmates says, I don't think we have enough diversity of thought in the classroom. I don't think we have enough people questioning and challenging each other to think again. So let's do that. And I found that I got a lot more diverse opinions. I got a lot more dissenting views as a result of that, which last time I checked is part of the point of education, to teach critical thinking and to foster it. And one of the highlights for me of teaching virtually, there were a lot of things that were hard, no question. There were days when I felt like we were violating the first law of thermodynamics because supposedly energy can neither be created nor destroyed. But I felt in a lot of classes, kind of like some of you have felt, that I was sending more energy into the Zoom window than was coming back at me. And I wondered where it all went. But one of the real silver linings was the quality and depth of discussion in the classroom. I had deeper discussions via Zoom than I've ever had at any point in my teaching career. And the chat window really opened that door because for the first time in my whole career, instead of just calling on a random hand that was raised, I was able to choreograph the conversation, to call on people who wanted to to dig a little bit further into a topic, to bring into the conversation voices who wanted to complicate the discussion we were having and and maybe even turn it upside down. And my hope is even when we move back into a physical face-to-face classroom, that there's a way to keep the engagement of the chat back in the conversation. Those are some mechanisms that I've gotten excited about for not only encouraging students to think again, but also for pushing me to think again. And I hope some of you will give them a shot, try them at your own risk. Thank you.